HR professionals, business owners, and operations at all levels are struggling to figure out what needs to change. Our system has been shocked, practices have been questioned, and conversations are finally happening. We all know there has been a huge shift in what people want. Inclusion and diversity are common phrases, but often misunderstood. Generations are coming together more than ever on what's important. Mental health has been brought to the forefront of everyone's mind. Let's humanize these conversations. Let's talk about what's important for employees to be successful in life and at their job, and how companies can create an environment to allow them to do both. Because successful people will make up a successful workforce. I'm Leanne Lovely. Let's get this conversation started. Today is going to be a great episode. I have an amazing guest joining me today. Tatiana St. Germain is the founder and CEO of Great People Management, a consulting firm that offers hiring and development assessments, talent optimization tools, and leadership and executive coaching. Tatiana believes that people are the foundation of every business, but the right people are the backbone of a successful business. She has helped over 1,000 organizations across the U.S., Canada, Europe, and Asia develop their leaders and establish sustainable and cost-effective systems to select, retain, and develop the right people who get results and smash the competition. With over 20 years of business, corporate, and international experience, she is an expert in understanding and solving complex people challenges in the workplace, including selection, onboarding, turnover, and retention. Her integrity, her unique perspective, valuable insight, keen observation, and a no-nonsense approach attracts companies who demand results, who strive to always be better, make smarter decisions about their people, and increase effectiveness of their managers and teams. Tatiana's background spans a variety of fields, linguistics, international relations, training, teaching, recruiting, business development, strategic planning, service excellence, and CEO roundtable facilitation. She is a Vistage Trust Advisor and an avid networker. When she is not connecting people or transforming organizations, she enjoys making wine, cooking, reading, camping, gardening, stargazing, traveling, and RVing around the country with her family. Tatiana, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me on, Leanne. So why don't you start out by um, telling me a little bit about yourself? Sure. Well, um, my name is Tatiana. I am an executive coach, uh, founder and CEO of Great People Management. I work with corporations to help them ensure that they have the right people in the right positions. So I serve in a talent advisory role, as well as working with executives and leaders um, in the management, at the management level and all the way to CEO, uh, coaching them and providing leadership development and team development services as well. That's awesome. Now you, you specialize in actually using assessment tools to, you know, help with reviewing employees and, and doing a lot of your coaching or, and I'm sorry, doing a lot of your work mm-hmm. with these individuals and these companies, I should say, not individuals. Um, tell me a little bit about, you know, how you utilize these assessments and 
um, you know, how that can be effective. Well, what's interesting, and you kind of um, mentioned this already, I work with both individuals and companies. Okay. So in what I'm finding in my consulting practice is what we're lacking is information. I know we're surrounded by information, but there's a lot of noise. And what we're not focusing is information about people, individual people. And it's a really powerful piece of data very scientific piece of data that psychometric assessments provide. And when you can measure somebody and know exactly what makes them tick, understand their strengths and weaknesses, understand what motivates them, understand their full potential, then as a hiring manager, as a leader, you can make a much better, more informed decision what position to put this person in. Will they be a good fit for this role? Will they be a good fit for this team? How will I, as a leader, as a manager, work with this individual? And so this information can be used both on the hiring side, on post-hire, promotional decisions. Any human decision in the workplace, is it's extremely important to make it as precise as possible so we're not, it's not like a flip of a coin. Uh, who do I hire today? Or who do I promote today? Or how do I put a project team together? A lot of times it's just intuition, you're guessing. And some leaders are better at it than others. Most people, it's kind of by the seat of their pants. It's based on observed behavior. They're making some inferences, make some assumptions, um, and hope for the best, essentially. And it's it becomes very frustrating when it starts to cut into the company bottom line when we're lacking engagement, when productivity is not up to par, when you you wake up one day and you realize your entire team is just a bunch of mediocre performers. What are you going to do about it? And, or what's even more frustrating during COVID, we, a lot of organizations experienced this, people just left. So turnover issues, that cuts into the bottom line. It's extremely costly. In other words, not to have the right people in the right positions. And going back to your question, that's what employee assessments help us to really reduce costs, improve lives of humans in the workplace because they are happy in their jobs. And when people are happy in their jobs, they make great companies, they make, they do great stuff. Um, and sometimes I just educate organizations and HR professionals. I do, I do webinars and um, kind of in-person in events, seminars, uh, telling them about different assessment tools because there's thousands of them out there. Um, and other times I actually get involved with my clients and help them implement assessment products for different initiatives. So, and, and let me just, so I, so we get some clarification. So on these assessments, um, and let's, I guess, take one, for example, um, the DISC assessment. When you're grabbing this information, how do you turn that information into usable, understandable data that a hiring manager, for instance, can use to make an informed decision on um, whether or not this employee is going to or how to you know, train this employee or how to, you know, I, I guess, how do you turn that data into real 
tangible information that can be or and maybe it's not a disc assessment maybe I'm calling out the wrong one but how do you how do you translate that so that it can actually be I mean because there's a ton of information on there a ton of you know here's what they're strong at here's what they're weak at but how does it how does it then translate to be usable functional functionable information that can then be valuable Functionable insights, yep, is what you're looking for. So that's part of the reason why I focus so much on assessments that produce those actionable insights that anyone in the company can pick up and make a better decision. So there's no guesswork, there's no interpretation, because whenever you involve humans in interpretation, you're introducing bias. And on the hiring side, it's, well, it's a very litigious environment. So we don't want to introduce that personal bias. We want to remove personal bias from the hiring process. We cannot remove it completely because at some point in the hiring process, you have a face-to-face interview with a bunch of folks potentially. So that that is still a human-to-human interaction. But when we are measuring people, you have to, as an organization, you have to ensure that you use tools psychometric assessment tools that are specifically validated for pre-employment, and DISC is not one of them. Uh, This is according to Department of Labor, and um, there's over 4,000 DISC-type assessments on the market. So the good ones out there will tell you, it's in their technical manual implementation guides, that DISC is not used for hiring because it does not have the job matching capability. It measures different things. But post-employment, I use DISC. It's very useful for team building and for onboarding um, and for in terms of actionable insights, so, uh, depending on what type of DISC you use. I use a lot of Wiley products, and their DISC actually produces actionable insights, reports that, again, managers can take and run with it and include that as part of their onboarding process, as part of their team building exercise. I still recommend a facilitator such as myself to do something like that. And I do a lot of team workshops. But again, DISC is kind of a fallback for my practice. I I use normative assessment tools. Um, Not sure if you want me to call them out or not. Um, It's, I'm, you can call out whatever you want. I, I, okay. I mean, I'm I'm an island over here. Okay. So I use, again, it's a Wiley tool, PXT Select assessment, um, and a couple of others, a Telexis tool, and I, I recommend my, my clients. There's a, a few other tools that are a little more expensive and more cumbersome to use, not scalable, but they're also very effective scientifically-based assessments. They measure the total person. And you know, when I get this question quite a bit, so what's the difference between DISC and PXT um, other than those actionable insights, right? And the hiring, uh, but post hire, what's the real difference? How, how differently does it measure an individual? And somebody recently, one of my colleagues said, imagine the DISC is like an X-ray and PXT is like an MRI. So it goes deeper, broader, and it measures the whole person. Mm-hmm. So that's the that's really the big difference. Now, before you go on, now you mentioned a facilitator because 
um, I'm assuming that this information is as on, only as good as the person who's getting the information, right? I mean, I, I could sit in and read all of this information, but if I don't know what to do with it, it means nothing. Yeah, that's that's why I do recommend when when budgets are concerned, right? For a lot of people, mm -hmm. for a lot of organizations, so it's it's almost humorous sometimes when budget is allocated to quote unquote employee development or team development, and that budget is only big enough to buy assessments. It's not big enough to hire a facilitator. Or it's not big enough to take the the next step and hire a coach if there's a, a need for le leadership coaching or executive coaching. Uh, it's kind of like, well, why did we even start down this path? So, yes, I absolutely recommend when we're in a situation of team development, leadership development, etc., you cannot leave people to their own devices. It's great information. All assessments I use have those great reports, insightful reports for self-awareness, for coaching, even self-coaching, and how, how to work better together with other people, how to work better with the, the whole team, how are we different, how are we similar. But it it's much more fun when you attend the workshop that I, I um, facilitate because I add some of that color commentary. I share real life experiences, and then it's a, it's an opportunity to for for the attendees to ask questions, very specific questions, or raise their hand and say, "Oh yes, that's why you're this way. Remember when we were working on this and that, and you did this? Mm -hmm. Yes, that makes sense now." So they are learning about each other. It's, that's why it's truly a workshop, and they walk away with more tangible very applicable personal information that they can then apply in their day-to-day -day work interactions with others. But on the hiring side, because it's usually higher volume and I work with mid-sized to large organizations, um, the idea is to empower hiring managers with information from, from these job matching reports. And it does not require interpretation because it gives them interview questions. So they don't need to, to do really anything else. I, I mean, they can call me uh, for a debrief. I'm always available. I conduct quarterly trainings with all of my clients, uh, a lot of refreshers, touch points. I want everyone to be on the same page. Um, but that, that part of utilizing assessments for hiring purposes, it generates a behavioral interview guide mm -hmm. that they can ask those questions. Um, and make a better decision. So something that you said, um, like really hit me here. You said, um, you know, after you, you know, work with people and people walk away going, oh, wow, that's, that's why you handled something this way, or that's why you are, you know, this, this way or whatever. And, and so I recently took, um, Oh my gosh, and I'm I'm gonna embarrass myself and not remember um, what the assessment was, but it it definitely explained why certain individuals on my um, previous team were the way that they were. And in doing that, do you find that team members start to become a little bit less stressed in interaction and 
even with each other, not just managers, but team members and having a better understanding of the way that their teammate processes information and communication opens up a little bit better. And people, I mean, I have to imagine that just understanding the way that XYZ coworker handles things and understanding that can open up huge doors. Well, and that's what I love about my job. Every person is unique. We're all born unique and different. And when we look at another unique person, our coworker, our team member, we see differences. We perceive differences, but we see them as difficulties. Because what happens is our fear centers in the brain, the, the reptilian brain takes over, the amygdala kicks in, and we start to fear the unknown because if it's something different, it's a mystery, it's unknown, and we take that personally. And when people act on their differences, that's when conflict potentially, or we can misinterpret, make assumptions, and it can cause conflict. I do get involved with conflict resolution situations as well, and usually boils down to communication, Mm-hmm. And communication, if we break it down uh, to how it starts, um, usually is because of those differences, because of assumptions. I'll give you a quick example. Um, you can take a person who is extremely skeptical, and then you take a person who's extremely positive and optimistic. And when they come together for meetings or one-on-ones or whatever, where they're, let's say they're working side by side on a project, the more more skeptical individual is going to ask a lot of questions because they don't trust themselves. They have high standards for themselves and others, and they're very vigilant. This is what drives them. And they can come across as negative. And, and everybody else on the team, and especially this extremely positive person, might, might say, well, gosh, they're so negative. It's really toxic. Or we start to put labels on this. Like, what's what's going on in your life? What's wrong with you? Okay, there's something wrong with you. Or they can take a different tack and say, well, they're, they're doing it to me. They're doing it to me. Um, and so that becomes stressful for the positive person. On the opposite end of the spectrum, a skeptical person could look at a positive individual, a trusting individual, and say, well, that's they're stupid. How can you not ask this question? That's just dumb. So there there may be lack of respect. And it all stems from lack of understanding of where we each come from. But once you explain that this is just somebody's hardwiring, this is their DNA, this person is wired to be optimistic and charismatic. And you know what's great about it? Yes, they can miss some opportunities. But you know what's great about it? They believe in you more than you believe in yourself. And don't you want to surround yourself with people like that? Wow. Totally different perspective. You sound like a, this is terrible. I'm about to say this. You sound like a marriage counselor. You sound like my marriage counselor. (laughs) (laughs) But it's, it's totally and completely true. You, especially when you become really comfortable, for instance, you've been at the same company for a really long time, you know, your coworker, or you think you know, your coworkers, or you know, a friend or you because this happens in, in human, you know, I, I've it, going back to the marriage council, I've been with the same man now for, you know, 10 plus years, right? 
I assume that I know what he's thinking. That immediately creates conflict. Because the assumption that I know what he's thinking when he says something to me is wrong. It's automatically wrong. Because that leads to if he doesn't mean that and I act on that, then he looks at me and goes, what are you doing? And then I, I get defensive, right? That is the exact same thing with any other relationship. If you jump to, well, and that's why I assume, you know, makes an ass out of you and me, right? Because, <laughs> and that, so, so this, you know, in, in, in any, in any working situation, if you, if you get comfortable and you start to assume that you know what people are thinking or you assume that somebody should act the way that you act because that's the only thing that you know and a lot of people think that that and until I I really started to get more emotional intelligence and read all of those books and start to you know have a better understanding that not everybody thinks the way that I think kind of went oh right because everybody's different everybody thinks uniquely everybody processes information differently just because I heard it you know, the same person say something and I processed it in a positive way doesn't mean that the other person processed it in a positive could have been like you just said, a skeptical way. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, I mean, I can imagine how valuable it is to become aware that, you know, of, of how your coworkers process and understand information. Because on a daily basis, people get ticked off, people even driving. Somebody cuts you off. You assume that they knew that you were there, right? You assume that they did it on purpose. Nine times out of ten, it was an accident. They didn't mean to do it because nobody goes out on the road maliciously trying to say, I'm going to piss everybody off on the road today. Yeah, and assumptions... um lead to the wrong conclusions typically like you said and usually we don't assume to the positive we always assume to the negative Mm -hmm. especially with respect to us okay somebody's out to get us somebody's trying to do something to me um and stephen covey in seven habits mentioned this i think it was in the sixth habit Um, i can't recall right now which one it is but his story about being on the subway train late at night um, he assumed that these kids were running around because the father and the father was just a ter- bad parent, mm-hmm. wasn't controlling it. But it turned out that they were coming home from the hospital and the father didn't know how to handle it because they just lost their mother. Right. You, you, it takes practice. And the first thing I recommend when I do coaching, my coaching practice, I recommend that leaders or anybody really who I work with, they need to start to observe themselves and catch yourself. That's the first step. Don't try to fix everything. Don't try to stir the ocean. Let's just be more mindful and observant of your own assumptions and how you react to different stimuli. And then pause and then ask yourself, is this an assumption? And if it's an, if it's an assumption, you say, yes, it's an assumption. I really don't have all the information. You have two options. You either drop it and take things at face value, 
or if you really need to know what's going on, what's the intent behind whatever the person did or said, ask them. Don't be passive aggressive. Just ask them. You did this, but I don't understand what's behind it. Could you tell me more? Mm -hmm. Being observant of yourself is really a powerful experience. And it it took me a long time to get to that point. But I recently experienced this, that when you're in that mode where you observe yourself and you pause and you give yourself space and time to catch the assumptions, it makes you less pissed off when people do something that would normally take you off. Mm -hmm. For example, we were coming home, all four of us, with the kids. um, We landed at Midway. Uh, We came home from Florida. It was kind of sleeting, raining, cold, snowing, whatever it was. It was nasty outside. Mm -hmm. And the bus driver who took us to the to the parking lot refused to stop at where we parked she said she's going to the deck to the parking deck and it was it was literally for her it was not a big thing but she refused to stop uh, and refused even though she was going back by back there she was not going to take us she wanted us off the bus she started screaming get off the bus and you know, I, I've never seen my kids were angry. My my husband was angry and he's usually pretty you know, pretty chill. And all I could think of, yes, it's it's frustrating, but I thought, what if she lost a family member? What if her son was shot? Mm-hmm. What if like we don't know what's going on and she literally lost she lost it. Mm-hmm. in that moment and she was not going to give us any customer service and yes we could have taken the number of the bus and her whatever and um uh, but i felt at peace while my entire family i was just we were walking her to walk through the snow sleet to the car um i observed the three of them fuming and then halfway home they were fuming about this but i felt like it really we're all healthy, we're all together, and we don't know what caused her to lash out like that. Could she just be a major bad person? Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, absolutely. But it has nothing to do with me and I choose not to take it personally. And I, it was such a revelation, I was just at peace. And if we could do this at work, can you imagine what we could accomplish? then you're productive because when emotions start to take over, the rational brain shuts down. Right. You literally don't hear. It's been proven by studies mm-hmm. that you can, somebody could be telling you something and you think you hear, you you cannot repeat what was said. Right. Because the, the heat is rising and you don't, so emotions, feelings, all of that. I, I deal with, with this in my coaching practice of course, but it all starts with self-awareness and self-awareness cannot happen without either decades of self-learning and self-reflection, or we can skip decades and squeeze it down to an hour and you take PXD Select and learn everything you need to know. about <laughs> <laughs> You know, and it's, and it's so interesting that, because it's, it's really interesting when you said that when emotions take over that you don't hear anything. And how often do we find ourselves in situations with our, our children, for instance, you talk about your family. And, and first of all, 
you know, that's an amazing, it's amazing that you, you know, to be able to be in that situation and to be able to allow your rational, you know, brain to, to stay in charge because it's, it's not easy, especially when you have your family there. Uh, And trust me, I struggle um, with that when it's, when it comes to my family, you know, it's very hard to keep those emotional, you know, checks and balances. Um, because you feel that mama bear come out, right? Yeah. You, you feel that protective. Um, it, it's a, sometimes a little bit easier when it's, you know, in a business situation where you're like, okay, you're not, but family. So I, I applaud you for, for staying level-headed. Um, but yeah, you know, I, and I always say to my, my husband, like, you're getting me to the point where I'm going to see red. I'm going to shut down. I'm going to you know, like, don't push me or not even my husband. It's usually my daughter. Um, you know, she's at that age. She, she actually turned five yesterday. But um, she's at that age where she pushes and pushes and pushes and pushes. And I'm staying calm and I'm staying calm and I'm staying calm. And all of a sudden it's that snap where you're just like, oh, my God, like, get away from me. You know, and then I have a puppy who's also and, and you stop. You stop the logical thinking and the emotion completely takes over. And we'd like to think that that doesn't happen at work. You're level-headed, you're logical, but you can't. You can't separate. We, we're, we've, we've learned. I've had this conversation now multiple times. We've learned that we are not robots. We don't walk into work and drop baggage. We don't walk into work and flip a switch, and now we're, either, now we're the professional person. We are ourselves, our whole person, no matter where we are. And yeah, for years and years and years, we've seen people pretend that they could go to work and become this professional human being and nothing bleeds over. And we've seen a society of people who've just burnt themselves out trying to do that, right? So the only alternative is to try to understand other human beings and be there for each other. So these assessments are, you know, awesome in trying to to get there. What happens, however, when you have, and this is probably a more difficult, but what happens when you have a, a manager who's, I guess, more blind to this information? Do you, you deal? You mean they're not using it? Yeah. Don't believe in it? don't believe in it or I mean do you deal with organizations when it comes to coaching through that this is actually a, a, one of the most popular questions in my coaching conversations what do you do when a leader who needs development doesn't think they need development <laughs> um, so they look in the mirror and they see perfection Right. And the reality is it's a rotten apple. Uh, that's what everybody else sees. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, this is why we have 360 degree evaluation tools. This is a wake up call for those leaders. As long as this leader is not the one who's holding the purse strings and approving contracts and budgets, right? Mm-hmm. Because then they, they think that they don't need development, nobody else needs development, then they're not going to participate and they're not going to approve, then they're not a client. <laughs> they're not going to be a client. Right. Uh, but if we get a chance to work with them and they, they do participate, this usually comes out of left field for, for them because they're not self-aware. 
but this is the feedback that's truly a gift because they need to understand that this is what's really going on. Here's the reality. Uh, and yes, 360 tools are based on perception because it, they tell us, we ask direct reports, we ask peers, clients, bosses, everybody around this leader, including the leader themselves, how they perform on uh, in different leadership competencies. And so they get feedback, they get scores, they also get comments, and then we build a development plan for them. And every leader has room for improvement and for development. Um, so this type of feedback can be difficult, especially for those who never took the time to be self-reflective or self-critical or be aware of how they might show up at work they may have great skills, but they don't have the people skills or they don't have the, the soft skills. They don't have leadership skills to accomplish what they need to accomplish. Maybe they're a great technical um, person, but they, they're not a great communicator. And so it comes out. And typically when, a, when we have a leader like that who's not self-aware, they get, let's say, kind of mediocre or bad feedback. Sometimes this feedback can be harsh because comments are open they are anonymous, but they can get pretty nasty. And it's amazing what people do. Just think of what people do on social media when they're when they're protected by anonymity. So some of that culturally, we it seems like unfortunately it it spills into the professional world. And I see more and more 360 feedback with those anonymous comments being quite personal and nasty and not professional. But this is the type of stuff this leader is evoking in other people. That's the kind of feelings they're bringing up in other people and it's not productive and they need to know that. So all feedback is a gift and that's how I start the conversation. The next option is for this leader to say, well, people are just stupid. I worked with a German engineer and this is, I know stereotypical, but he was truly, he traveled from Germany, from their office in Germany to to rural Tennessee to manage a team of engineers. So if they're all engineers, but he's from Germany and he's having an issue with culture, language, everything else potentially. And when he gets, gets this feedback and it's not, not good, lots of room for improvement. Some good things, but a lot of it, he focused on the negative, of course. And, he's, and we start to work through it and he goes, well, people are just stupid. And I don't disagree because I, I want, I, feelings are messages from our brain, feelings and emotions, and you cannot ignore them. If you put them in a the little box and in the closet, you know how people say we compartmentalize, it's the worst thing you can do because at some point that's gonna be a big explosion. Mm -hmm. And it's gonna not just be exploding your closet, the whole house is gonna go down. So you need to acknowledge these emotions and feelings. And so I don't start to fight with somebody when they say, well, this is this. Yeah, sure, okay. Let, let's assume you are correct and people are stupid. And I've been in those shoes growing up. I thought everybody was stupid, honestly. Um, so, and it was extremely irritating to me mm -hmm. and frankly depressing because I'm like, I can't have friends. I cannot have an intelligent conversation with anybody. And at that time, I was five. Yeah. So it was very difficult for me. 
and I worked through, so I knew exactly what he was coming from. And I said, you know what? I'm with you, buddy. Let's, let's assume they're stupid. What's next? What are you going to do with this information? We tried different ways and he still goes, yeah, it's, he was very dismissive of this feedback. And then finally, what made the difference is I asked him a question that he could not, um, kind of could not, not connect with. I said, um, do you want to be effective in this role? Because mm -hmm. I said, sounds like you, you don't need to be in this position. People are stupid. You hate this. So we're, we're at an impasse. Right. Quit. I've coached plenty of people out of their jobs. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and he goes, well, no. Why not? Do you want to be effective? Well, of course. So that was his motivator. And then he got over the hump. He's like, okay, let's take things at face value. It is what it is. What you got, this is what is. So let's deal with it. Not because you need to be everything to everyone. Not because you need to compromise your values. Not because you need to change who you are. You need to just change what you do to be more effective, to achieve what you want from life and business. Mm -hmm. And that's what typically resonates with most people. They don't want to take assessments or go through coaching programs because it's an, they feel it's going to be an attack on who they are. Mm -hmm. And my approach and the tools I choose to use in my practice are different. They measure the uniqueness of who you are so that together we can craft your unique path to what you want and you're going to do it the way you need to you need you will you don't change i don't believe people change there are certain things that are wired in our dna it's it's the hard wiring in the brain and it's it's set it's pretty much set it's not um it, you can learn new things you can acquire new skills you can learn strategies almost despite yourself but at your core you're not going to change mm-hmm what that DNA is, your core, is your starting point. And it's important to know because you cannot get, go from to point B without knowing point A. And so that's these assessments, all types of evaluations, they, they really help us get grounded in not only who we are, but what's our departure point. And then from there, we can say, okay, based on what I'm comfortable with, this is how and what I can do. And then it becomes authentic. And if you're doing something to improve yourself that's authentic to yourself, you're honoring yourself, mm -hmm. well, then you're going to continue doing it. Right. That's a more sustainable path to improvement versus trying to do something that's hard because you read a book. Right. Well, they did it, so I'm going to do it. Don't ever compare yourself to other people because you're always comparing your worst self to their best self. Mm -hmm. And that's unfair. It's extremely unfair to you. So well, I'll get off my soapbox if you have another question. <laughs> no, I just I was very um, intrigued. Um, kind of you sucked me in on that um, on that um, example. I mean, and I, I, file, I find it very um, amazing that there are some humans out there that are willing to take the information, you know, consume that and then you know, by the end of it, you're able to get them to understand that this is not an attack on them, that it truly, you know, and, and yeah, you know, that some people can be mean and, you know, 
counterproductive by some of the things that I'm sure that they say on this evaluation when they're when they're giving feedback. Um, and it's unfortunate that, you know, but again, they the people giving the feedback are also human, right? And this is also a way for them to finally say something that they need to say um, and they need to get off their chest. But the people who are getting that feedback, if they're able to finally consume that and then move forward from that and, and thrive and do well and change that behavior um, to to thrive in their position I mean that that's that's amazing that I mean and what a what a role for for you to be in to to watch that person you know bloom and and thrive and and do well um you know in that role and if they can't hey there's there's a million other positions out there where maybe you know being a people leader is not is not the right role for them but you know to have that insight I mean I I wish that I could have the insight from every single person that I um, that I meet to be able to understand myself better. I mean, because I would prefer if I'm doing a horrible job somewhere that that my manager were to sit me down and say, OK, here's what I need for you to change. And here's my constructive criticism to you, not because I want to be malicious, but because I want you to be a better human going forward. Um, but that is a really hard conversation for leaders to have. And that's what str- that's the thing that I struggle with the greatest is that why is it so difficult to have that conversation as a leader? And if you can't have those conversations, you shouldn't be a people leader. I mean, there it's should be conflict avoidance. And this is one of the Correct. traits, actually, that we, that we measure. A lot of people, um, there will actually, there could be two possibilities. Everybody has their own story and their own reasons. Again, we don't want to assume. But what I typically observe is it could be that it's innate to them. It's in their DNA and we can measure this with PXT and they're highly accommodating. So they don't like conflict. And so they will find every possible which way to avoid confronting somebody or hold accountable because they think it's going to cause conflict. They don't know it, but they think. And another thing is just pure laziness. They, they just, maybe they're disengaged. They're not in this role long-term. They're not fully bought in. And they don't really have, want to have this conversation. Right. And that's sad because if, you go, if you're going to truly be, you know, a, per, a, a, a people leader, a servant leader, along with that comes having to have the hard conversations right? I mean, you're going to have to have, you're, eventually you're going to have to fire people. Eventually you're, you're, you're good. You have to hire people. You're going to have to sit down and you're going to, if you want to truly help people, you know, grow and develop, you're going to have to have hard conversations. You know, today your work was mediocre. Here's how you can be better. You know, today this happened. I've always throughout my career appreciated the leaders who sat me down and went, um, you, you can't do that. I remember years and years ago, I dropped an F-bomb in front of, um, and this was many, many years ago, but I dropped an F-bomb in front of a wildly religious coworker. And immediately my manager came to me, sat me down and goes, uh, you can't say that at work. And I was like, 
oh my god did i did i say that he's like uh yeah and you need to go immediately and apologize and make sure that you just watch your language in the future and i mean and i was embarrassed like i was so embarrassed but it, he didn't like push it off he didn't he was straightforward you can't say this word at work i mean this again words mm-hmm. now have become so much more <laughs> you go to you know you go to a event and people are saying every which it's the words are so colorful yeah. now but anyway I was like wildly embarrassed and I was just like I can't believe I did that you know and I went over to the coworker and I said you know I really apologize I did not mean to swear and I know that you're you're very you know you're very religious and that was my fault and but I appreciated that it didn't take a day. It didn't take a week. It didn't take a month for my manager to come to me. It literally took like 10 minutes from me doing that to my manager coming to me and saying, yeah, don't do that again. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. I won't do that again. Mm-hmm. He was one yeah, of just in time feedback is something that's become very popular. A lot of leadership training programs talk about this. I talk about it whenever I get a chance. With a new generation in the workplace, you know, younger millennials and Generation Z especially, if you wait until the next review cycle, they're not even going to be with your organization anymore. I mean, they leave at the drop of a hat. Right. So then you need to provide just-in-time feedback. And based on my uh, my work and my experience with measuring people and that particular trait, managerial courage, only 16% of the population is wired to speak the truth, to have this kind of courage, despite mm-hmm. the potential for conflict or defensiveness or any kind of pushback. The rest of the population, and that's general population, that's not just leaders, um, are kind of um, more flexible with that. They're, they're less inclined, if you will, to handle situations just in time. And of course it does escalate. Right. So there are strategies even for conflict-averse leaders that they can implement to provide just-in-time feedback. And it starts with setting clear expectations on the front end. Mm -hmm. So if you know that you're not going to tolerate and you don't want to perpetuate a workplace where certain language is tolerated, well, go ahead and talk about this expectation on the front end, Right. right? So then it won't feel like conflict or some, or you coming down on somebody or out of left field when you have to hold people accountable to that standard. You communicated that to them. Right. So it's a little more palatable for leaders who are less inclined to kind of get get you straight between the between the um, eyebrows and shoot you straight. And right. some, some, to, to be honest, some of them can be like a bull in the china shop. They don't pull back at all. And they, they take it to the extreme. Right. And they're always picking on people. So there's all these extreme sides to every every trait. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And again, approach. I mean, it's not like this manager came to me and was like, he didn't yell at me. He just pulled me aside and was like, uh, hey, you know, yeah. FYI, okay. don't do this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, right. Of course. Yeah. You know, and again, a great leader, somebody who was, you know, in the trenches. Not only was he a great leader, he was the owner of the company. And, and I felt comfortable enough that when he came to me, I didn't feel picked on. I didn't feel like he was, you know, calling me out, came to the company, you know, came to me and said, hey, I'm, I don't tolerate this. Great. Mm-hmm. 
my apologies. It won't happen again. You know, I mean, there's, and there's different approach. And you're right, there are certain leaders that, you know, every time their approach is, can be a little intimidating. But, you know, well, we are, we are coming to time. Um, this has been such an amazing conversation. Um, and I could, you know, go on and go down so many different paths with you on this. Yeah, but me too. <laughs> You get into the retention piece and get into yeah. you know so many other things. Um, but I want to ask you the question of the season. So the question of the season, if or actually, what would you change about your job or the practice that people have in your job if you could or in your role? What I would love to change about my job is has less to do with me more with everyone that I work with and it's a cop out <laughs> but here's what I mean I I'm glad to see that due to COVID more organizations are focusing on people mm-hmm. I would like to see more investments time and money needs to be invested by individual people by parents and their high school kids and by organizations in people we have to know each other better. We're so disconnected. There's so much noise, so much information. We need to understand ourselves. We need to be more self-aware, aware of others. And we need to have real conversations, real human conversations. And so what I would, with that respect, what I would change um, for, about myself is spreading the, this message more forcefully. In fact, I changed, I, I put this on, in my, on my website um, at the very top. Imagine a world where people love to come to work. So if you asked me 10 years ago, I would have said that's super cheesy. And now I challenge people, close your eyes and get beyond the cheesy and imagine the world where people, every single person love what they do. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine the impact on society, economy, productivity, overall happiness, stress, relationships at work, outside of work, everything. We spend majority of our lives at work, Mm -hmm. waking hours at work. And if you don't love what you do, it's corrosive, it's toxic. Mm -hmm. And it's not serving you because you lash out at people you love at the end of the day. So if I can contribute in a small way to that world, and I can partner with organizations and provide them with these tools so that those organizations can help contribute to building that world and put the right people in the right positions, have real conversations with them, develop them, help them, uh, help them be fulfilled. That's, that's really my passion. And I think that this was a really a turning point. That's what I'm changing and continue to change. Well, it started last year and, and into this year. Um, I'm going to be a little more, more proactive in spreading that message. And that's awesome. And that's what this podcast, um, you know, the reason I started this podcast in the first place was because we're human. And if we connect as humans, maybe that is, you know, a push towards, you know, having conversations that will create is to connect even more. My fear is that the more advanced technology becomes, the less we connect as humans. And people keep saying, but the technology is how we're staying connected. But I see people 
taking a walk, staring at their phone. Whereas Mm -hmm. when I grew up as a child, we would be on a walk all, you know, talking and hanging out. And, you know, this reminds me of that that movie where all the boys, you know, what was that movie? The It doesn't matter. Um, you know, we rode our bikes everywhere. We never, we, you know, it was constant interaction, communication. It was never phone, playing Pokemon, staring at a phone. And yes, technology is connecting us in a remote world of where we were banned from leaving our homes, but it's continuing. We can now be in public, and yet we're still meeting on Zoom. So I fear that we are going to have to intentionally, very intentionally, have to make sure that we stay connected as humans because there is a difference between talking on a Zoom like we are today than sitting next to each other in a coffee shop and having a real human conversation. So I, I, you know, I throw that out there because I want people to remember that true connection, you know, being in person has a different feeling. Anyways, if somebody is interested in reaching out to you, how would they go about contacting you? Uh, A couple of ways. I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. Uh, So look me up, Tatiana St. Germain. I think I'm the only Tatiana St. Germain on LinkedIn, but I may be wrong. I I think I am. (laughs) And uh, you could also go to my website and find a bunch of connection links there to my LinkedIn, to my YouTube channel, and the email. Uh, Greatpeoplemanagement.com is the website. Greatpeoplemanagement.com. Or um, email, you can send an email either to Tatiana at greatpeoplewin.com because great people do win, uh, or discoverhow at greatpeoplewin.com. Excellent. And that'll be in the show notes. Again, thank you so much, Tatiana, for the, the amazing conversation. You have a wonderful day. Thank you so much, Leanne. Thank you again for listening to Let's Talk HR. I appreciate your time and support. Without you, the audience, this would not be possible. So don't forget that if you enjoyed this episode, to follow us, like us, or share us. Have a wonderful day.